We continue on in the book of Exodus. In our series, we're coming to the end. So uh, we've combined some of the chapters in the 20s and the 30s. So we have 31 this week. Cameron's going to preach to us uh, chapter 32. Sorry, Cameron, I gave you the golden calf, but it's going to be good. <laughs> um, and, and then uh, Sean Jim's going to come preach to us the, the week following on chapters 33 and 34. And then we'll finish out in 40. And after Exodus, we're going to head into Luke as we go into Advent. But today we're in chapter 31. We're in chapter 31. I want to ask you a question before we start. I wonder, do you see work and rest as a gift from God? Do you see work and rest as gifts from God, given to you so that you might worship him? Sometimes, sometimes we see work as a necessary evil, something we have to do in order to get what we want, right? I want a good grade, I got to put the work in to study, to go to class, to write the paper. Sometimes uh, we see this, uh, when we see it as a necessary evil, it looks like you, you dread when you start approaching the office or the classroom or opening your computer to study. So maybe that's you. Work is a necessary evil. I just do it to get the things I want. Or sometimes we see work as too important and worship it as a god. And you see this when you, when you sort of pour your life into work and it's never enough. You get, you get anxious when you're not working or you don't have something to do. It can be a sign, maybe not always, but it can be a sign that work has become too important to you. There's a better way. And Exodus tells us that God gave his people the gifts of work and rest so they might worship him. Work and rest are actually gifts from God that his people might worship him. Work and rest are given to you that you might worship God. Through them. Those are our two points this morning the gift of working for God and the gift of rest from God. So in chapter 31, beginning in verse 1, hear God's word. Let, let's stand together as we read it, okay? The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furniture of the tent, the table and its utensils and the pure lamp stand and with, with all its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the basin and its stand and the finely worked garments and the holy garments for Aaron, the priests, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place according to all that I have commanded you. They shall do. And the Lord said to Moses, 
You're to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall you work, shall your work be done. But the seventh day is, is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai the two tablets of testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. This is God's word. You may be seated. So the gift of working for God, verses 1 through 11. Friends, this text tells us that after God made a plan to dwell with his people, rescued them from Egypt, brought them through the Red Sea, brought them to this place, he's giving them detailed instructions on the place where he would dwell with them. But he also planned the materials he wanted his people to use for the construction. And in his kind providence, he also chose men. He chose people who wanted, who, whom he wanted to construct the very tabernacle that he commanded. And we see the gift of work to his people through four I have statements. And that's, that's the first point is just going to be constructed under these four. God's gift of, uh, the gift of God, of working for God is given by God. I have four I have statements. I have called them. Maybe you notice in verse two, I have called them. I have filled them with my spirit. I have appointed helpers and I have given ability to all the skilled workers so that they could do everything he commanded. That's the story of the first section. God is the subject. And, and maybe that will just help you in reading the Bible. God, God is always the subject. There are other, other actors and other subjects in the Bible, but God is the main mover. He is the actor. He's the one that is graciously doing all things in this world for his glory and for our good. And as the actor, God graciously includes people like you and like me in his work. He, he wants his work done his way. He wants to be worshiped in the way he has commanded us to worship and in his kind providence, he chooses workers. Did you notice that? I called, I chose, I called them or I chose these men to work for me. He fills them with the spirit, he appoints helpers for them and he gives them ability. I wonder, do you ever wonder if you have been called to some kind of specific work? You know, in an age of individualism and choice, we, we, we have to remember that as Christians that our, our choice is not finally all up to us. Friends, if you asked me what my career would have been when I was 15, I would have told you that I was going to play in the NBA. I wish it wasn't that funny. That was my heart's one true desire. 
gonna, I'm gonna play basketball and get paid to do it. So in this age of individualism where our desires become king, if, if we made my 15-year-old desire the measure of success, then I am a failure right now, right? I would be a failure because I'm not in the NBA. Our, our, friends, our desires do not always tell us what God wants for us. God sometimes calls us to other things. But if we want to understand that God, we must understand that God plays a providential role, not just in what we desire, but in the end, what we confessed earlier, God is providence in everything that hap- God is providential in everything that happens in our life, including our careers, including our work. So I, I have to believe that as a Christian in God's providence, me being a pastor is not a failure. Me working at FedEx for 15 years before this was not a failure. My school choices or, or the choices that I, I, I made in terms of, um, you know, at one point wanting to be a lawyer, at one point wanting to be a businessman, all of those things God was using to shape my life, those are in the end failures because, because God is making all things according to his providence, according to his plan. And I think one of the things we need to take away from this is that God calls people to different work in different ways. He calls Bezalel by name in verse two. I've called Bezalel by name for, for constructing the tabernacle. And he calls us in different ways and different times and, and different people to different things at different times. But because of our sinful hearts, sometimes even if he called us audibly by voice, which he doesn't always do, right, at, at this present time in this present dispensation, uh, even if he did do that, sometimes we would say no. Do, do you think that if God said to you, hey, I want you to do this, I, I want you to be a construction worker, I want you to be this, if he said that out loud to you, do you think you would say, okay, whatever you say, God? Maybe. But there's, even in the book of Exodus, God called out from a burning bush to Moses and said, I want you to deliver my people. I want you to, I want you to go back to Egypt, deliver my people, and bring them out of bondage. And do you know what Moses said? I don't think I can do it, God. <laughs> I don't think I could do it. So even when God does call out by name from a burning bush by, with a voice, Sometimes we, would, we might even say no. Where, where is this all heading? I hope to make sense of it. He called Moses to be deliver his people. Moses said, not me. I can't do it. I can't speak well. You need to choose somebody else. So God, doesn't, God calls different people to different work in different ways. Most of us will never hear God speak audibly about our career. I, I say most of us because I, I don't, God can do whatever he wants. Like he, he might do that for you, but it wouldn't be ordinary. But that what I want you to know is even if he doesn't speak to you like he spoke to Moses or Bezalel, the same God is at work in the same way for all of his people. He, and he's at work in the same way for all of his people as he calls us to different things. Did he call you like Moses? Probably not. If he did, we should have a conversation. Okay, uh, 
I'm not saying he couldn't. I'm saying we should have a conversation about it. So did he call you like Bezalel? Well, not exactly, right? He told Moses, I've called Bezalel. You tell him he's going to construct the tabernacle. He probably hasn't done that. So where does that leave you with all of your life choices? You who are here, uh, you know, in college, right? in, in high school, you're, you know, waiting to choose. You're in college, you're, you're choosing, so you, you know, you're studying, so you can choose. All of these things. What, what, is, what is that for us? He probably doesn't call us by name for a career you have chosen. But if you can trust God who calls you by name, he knows you by name, he calls you by name to salvation, if you can, if you can trust the God who has numbered every hair of your head, then you can trust him to direct you in every other area of your life, including your career, including your marriage, your singleness, your schooling, your family situation, your housing situation. He has, he knows you by name. He can call you by name for certain things. Even if he doesn't call you by name for your career, he knows your name, and in his kind providence, he is going to direct you to the career, to the work, to the situation he wants you in. So he, he can do it audibly. Uh, he has done it audibly in the past, but ordinarily, he usually works through desire and circumstance today. I, I, I take that long on that because I think it's important for us in, in, our, in our, our current evangelical context, we hear, I hear a lot today, hey, God told me to do this. God told me to do that. We have friends, I just want, if, if you believe God has told you to do something, you have some means to figure out how to know if God actually is calling you to something if you haven't heard him audibly. He usually, he works through certain means, okay? So for you here today who are thinking you're stressed out about choosing a career, or choosing what to study for a career. Maybe you're in high school. Or for you who are stressed out because you're studying for a career that you don't know you were made for. You're in college. Or, or you're in a career, you've been maybe thrust into a career out of necessity. You can trust the God of providence in your life has led you to where you are. So how does one know what to choose, what to study, or whether you should stay in a job or leave a job? The first step, trust the providence of God. Trust his providence. You can, you can be guaranteed that he has gifted you for something. What, what, so you can ask the question, what am I gifted in? Providence of God, he has gifted you in something. You can ask the question, what do other people think I'm good at or gifted in? And then you have to ask the question, what are your opportunities? All while trusting the providence of God, the one who calls people like Bezalel will call you even if it's in a different way. Oh, dear friend, if you are stressed out about your career, your schooling, your choices, you can trust in the providence of God. But also in verse three, he not only calls people, he fills people. He filled them with every needful thing for the task ahead told him he wanted to construct the tabernacle in a certain way with certain materials, and then he gifts them the materials, and then he calls the people to do it, and then he fills them with his spirit for ability, intelligence, knowledge, and craftsmanship. Everything needed for the task. In Proverbs 2, 6, 
He says, for the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. What God has called you to, he will equip you to do. What he's called you to do, he will equip you to do. Uh, it, may, it may take hard work, it may mean making mistakes and not being perfect, but what he has called you to do, he will equip you to do. That's why some of you are in school right now. Take that for, as a providential kindness from God. This good work, this good work of school, he is going to fill you with his spirit, with ability, wisdom, and knowledge for you to accomplish that task because he's equipping you for something in the future. But he's equipping you for the present as well. But also, friends, sometimes the best learning comes from being on the job and making mistakes. I, I, I have a lot of personal examples in here only because I, 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 can, I can only think of, of my life in some of these. You know, in terms of preaching, I, I learn by making mistakes. And I've been here for four years, so God bless anyone who has stayed that whole time. Lord bless you. I, I've made mistakes in, in preaching and being a pastor, uh, but also I have grown in getting feedback from friends who are bold enough to, to tell me, hey, you know what, you stink at preaching and you need to get better. No one's actually said that, but I've kind of felt that sometimes. <laughs> but I've been helped by, you know, by, by feedback from other people, but also by going to preaching workshops and and. and, and, and listening to people and, and, and trying to get equipped in different ways. God will equip you. It doesn't mean you will be perfect or even the best in your field, but the God who calls you will equip you for the work, which sometimes means hard work and mistakes. But God has filled you with, with ability. If you have his spirit, he has filled you with ability for what he has called you to. So whether you're a project manor, manager or a software engineer, or a teacher, or a student, or a vet, or a nurse, or a doctor. He is giving you the ability to do those things. And maybe you say, well, I don't think I have ability to do that. Well, maybe God has called you to something else. Maybe he has, he's leading you to do something else. But it's not just all about your career. Friends, God, God has also equipped and, and gifted people, not just for preaching from the front, not just for you know, not, not just for leadership, but, but also for, for other things. I was talking to Evan before the service, and he was telling me, he heard a teaching on this passage, and, and he said, you, you know, um, I, I should have written it down, Evan, because uh, I'm going to get it wrong, but the guy who was teaching said, look, do you know your, your grandpa who's really good at fixing things around the house? He's, he's really good at it because God gave him the ability to do that. God gifts people with ability and knowledge. I, we shouldn't be surprised in one way that my, my wife's uh, stepdad is really good at fixing things around the house. I've not been called to fix things around the house. You wanna know how I know? I've tried it, I'm not good at it. Maybe I just need to get better at it, that's fair. Uh, but G God has called and gifted people not just for public service, not just for public works, but for, for all kinds of things. God who calls also fills. But he, thirdly, he also appoints. He appoints helpers for the task that he's called you to. Don't, don't you see how kind God is? How good he is in all of this? I have done this. I have done this. I have done this. He appoints helpers for the task in verse six. 
God appoints people to, to help along the way. Even at the beginning, he, he, he gave Adam the task of tending the garden and naming the animals. And then he gave a helper for him, Eve, who, who complimented and helped him. And if, if you think that, you know, that's just a patriarchal statement uh, and, and not very concerned about women, you know, God calls himself a helper. It, Women being a helper is not a diss at all. God appoints helpers for the task he's called people to. But more than that, more than, more than him just appointing helpers for, for the tasks you have in your work or in your home, God has appointed a community called the church to help you and for you to help the church. So, the step number one in, in knowing what God has called you to in, in, in your work life, in your worship life, is to trust the providence of God and take advantage of the help he appoints. Do you want to know what God's will is for your life? Trust his providence means making use of the ordinary means of grace. They seem so ordinary. They're, they are quite extraordinary, actually, but they are ordinary because they're everyday. They're things that we do that we don't see fruit from immediately. Trusting the providence of God means taking hold and, and making use of the ordinary means of grace, like prayer. See, I told you, it's boring, right? Prayer, that's hard. Because you pray and you don't get an answer for a long time, but God is answering you. You want to know what God's will for, is for your life? Pray about it. The very praying about it is God's will for your life in one sense. Use God's appointed means for making decisions. Pray about it. Trust his word. What, what does his word say? Now, when you apply that to your career, you could say, I, I'm trying to choose between this career and that career. Um, what, what would his word say about it? it don't do anything that God forbids. Otherwise, it's kind of open to you. You're welcome. Pray about it, trust his word, and engage his people. Uh, he's giving you helpers uh, in this church, your mom and dad, otherwise adults in your life, otherwise people in your life uh, that you can look to for wisdom. There is wisdom in a multitude of counselors. You want to you want to exalt God's providence in this world? You want to trust him and be at ease for your choices in this life? Pray, trust his word, engage his people. Engage his people. But friends, God has not just called you to a job. If you're a Christian, God has called you to a church community. He has called you to be a meaningful part of a church community. The New Testament tells us that God gives gifts to the members of his church like he has given different parts to the body. So if you have turned from your sins and trusted Christ alone for salvation, he has gifted you, not just naturally, but supernaturally in some ways as well, as to be a member, a different body part of a local church. That may mean this one or another one. And when the members use their gifts, when they act like members of the body well, the church functions like it's supposed to. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 12. And in the negative, he, he talks about 
members being uh, church members, church uh, people in the church being members as members of a body, Christ's body, when they function like they're supposed to, when they don't function like they're supposed to, the body suffers. If the eye says, I have no need of the hand, uh, it just doesn't happen. You can't. We can't live well with, we can't function well without our hand. If the nose says to the toe, I don't need you, it, it's just, it, 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 it's morose. It's, um, I'm, I'm trying to think of the word. It's, it's just, it's, it doesn't work like it's supposed to. It's, it's, it's grotesque. Each of you has a gift God has given you for the good of the body of Christ. I'm so thankful for all the ways you all use your gifts in this church. And I just want to say, keep on. Keep on using your gifts for the good of this church. Thank you for the musicians and, and those who use their voice to lead us in worship of God. God has gifted you, filled you with the Spirit, given you ability and wisdom and intelligence and knowledge to do that. Thank you for doing that. Those of you who use your hospitality to, to host people, those of you who use your organizational gifts, those of you who, who make the slides for Sunday morning, thank you for all that you do who watch the kids, who, who teach our kids the, the good news of Jesus Christ. You're making our body function well. But when it doesn't function well, it suffers. Your pinky's cut off, we suffer. So each one of us has a gift to give in the body of Christ. If you do not know what your gift is, you should ask the body where it has needs. Where does this body have needs? Then you can ask the leaders and church members of your church what needs could be met, how you could meet those needs. Now, you're, you're thinking, okay, here comes the call for volunteers, but that's not what I'm asking for, okay? I'm not trying to drum up volunteers here. I, I'm trying to say, I want to help you to be satisfied in God by fulfilling what he's called you to do, both in your work life and your church life. Trust his providence, Use the gifts he's given. Trust in his, his word and, his, and his, the people that he's given. As a multitude of counselors, there is wisdom. And the last thing, that, the last I have statement, he is given ability. And we, we kind of touched on this with the filling with his spirit, but even to the helpers, he's given the ability. To anyone who has gifts, he is given the ability. But do you notice what he gave the ability for? He gave it so that they would fulfill all that he commanded. So friend, you don't know what to do? Step one, trust in the providence of God. Use the appointed means he has given for your help. The prayer, his word, his people. So pray, read his word, engage his people. Step three, get to work. You just gotta do something right? Nike, Nike has it. Just do it. Just do it. Get to, just get to work. I mean, some of us are perfectionists. We're afraid if we don't have it perfectly, uh, it's not going to be good enough and we're not going to do it. Move on through that with, with the knowledge that God has gifted you for what he's called you to and he will equip you and he will give you help. When it comes to working in the church, pray, read his word, ask his people, and fill a need. When it comes to the workforce, pray, read his word, ask his people. And when you have done all that and your heart is submitted to God as best you know, do what you want. 
Some, someone said this. It might have been Luther or Augustine. Love God with all your heart and do what you want. You don't know what to do? God sometimes, God works through your desires. If you're loving him with all your heart, the best you know, love God and do what you want. Uh, because when you're loving God, you, you are going to do what God wants you to do. Now, we're all gonna make mistakes in all of this, right? So maybe we haven't loved God as well as we should. We do what we want. It was a mistake, Well, in God's providence, he even uses our mistakes and weaves them together for his glory and for our good. He does it. I wish I would have chosen a different school. I wish I would have chosen a different major. I wish I wouldn't have to waste so much time doing this or that. God works all things together for our good and for his glory, for the ones who love him, for the ones who are called according to his purpose. I should have said this on the front end. But the first point is super long, and the last point is really short, okay? The, g- <laughs> the gift of God, the gift of working for God, leads us to the gift of rest from God, okay? The gift of rest from God. And we read in verses 12 through 18, the Lord said to Moses, you speak to the people, observe, above all, observe my Sabbaths. You will work and you shall work hard. And then on the seventh day, you shall rest. Friends, the Sabbath means rest. The rest talked about here is called the Sabbath. And it was established in Genesis, in the creation of the world. It was was a pre-fall. Just like work was established before the fall, so was rest. And it was established by God himself who rested from his work and was refreshed. So this, this rest is, is built, it's woven into the fabric of the world at its creation. And God gives it to his people as a gift called the Sabbath. And notice, I want you to notice a few things about it, that it was a command. God commanded his people to rest. Because he knows that, you know, on the seventh year, we're going to want to sow grain in the field because it's really hard to trust the Lord that he will provide a bumper crop in the sixth year. It's really hard to believe that he's going to provide, and so we got to get to work. Is that you? Instead of resting, you work. If that's you, he has given you a gift called rest. In the Old Testament, it's called the Sabbath. It was a command. Above all, keep my Sabbath. Keep my rest. Why? Well, because it was created, God created the world this way. He created the world to work six days and rest one. Why? Because, he says, you notice, it is holy to the Lord. Holy means separate or set apart or sanctified. It is set apart to the Lord. God, God set this thing, this day of rest apart for the Lord so that he might be known as holy, as the Lord of lords, the, the king of kings. But not just to the Lord. Notice the other statement. Because it is holy for you. It is not only holy to the Lord, it is holy for you. It is separate, it is sanctified, it is set apart for you. So in the New Testament, 
Jesus would come along and he would deal with some religious leaders that said, you may not heal on the Sabbath. You're breaking the Sabbath. And anyone who breaks the Sabbath should be put to death. And Jesus comes in and says, didn't you know that Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath? Jesus is, he, he, he is rearranging things and, and telling, he's telling people what, what the Sabbath was actually for. He's sanctifying the Sabbath by doing good on it and saying the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. This was commanded for you for your good. And if you do bad on the Sabbath, like not doing good to people, you are misusing the Sabbath. It is holy to the Lord. It is also holy, set apart for you. It is for your good. When you work and work you shall, you're using the wisdom, intelligence, and knowledge, and craftsmanship that was given you by God. But there's a limit to your energy, dear friend. There's a limit to your ability, your skill. Unlike God, who is limitless in his wisdom, knowledge, and power, you have limits. And he wants you to take a day, take a day, to sit and reflect on that truth and on the work that God has energized us to do. Step, step back and reflect on the work that you've just done, the energy God has given to, for you to do it, and glorify him, praise him. Just sit back and, and let those weeds grow. I give you permission to, to, to let the lawn grow a little bit if it means resting. To not look at the spreadsheet for one day. Because it's holy for you. And it's holy to the Lord. Now, for the Old Testament Christian, for the Old Testament believer the Sabbath was Saturday. They rested and reflected on, on all the week. They worked and they rested. Because it was set apart for them. But when Jesus came, we think that he changed. Now, there's different views on this, so I'm, I'm not going to get into all the different views on this. Uh, if, you are, if you are a Sabbatarian, okay, big word, we can talk about it afterwards. But if you believe Sunday is the new Sabbath, the Lord bless you, don't be legalistic about it. But if you, it's a good principle. Take the Sunday and rest and worship and reflect on God. But we believe that when Jesus came and, and rose again on the first day of the week, he changed the day where his people worshiped to, to Sunday, showing that he was the one that brought rest, that gave rest to his people and a final rest to his people. The sign of the Sabbath that was, uh, was given in the Mosaic Covenant, we think was probably, was fulfilled in Christ. Was, the Mosaic Covenant was fulfilled, including all the signs and the shadows cast by the glory of God shining on Jesus Christ. And when he rose again from the dead and you trust him alone, you have rest in him and him alone. So you should think hard. Should I work on Sunday? Should I not work on Sunday? And, and talk to those that you trust about this. But friends, remember that Jesus is the final and, and full Sabbath. He is the, the new covenant. He, he, he fulfills the new covenant. He fulfills the old covenant and brings the new covenant by being both God and man, dying and rising again. And friends, something changed with Jesus' resurrection. 
It changed when the, pe- when the people of God were to worship, we think on Sundays, and it changed the pattern of, of work and rest. Where you worked six days and rested the seventh, now we, we rest and we work out of our rest. On Sunday, you remember that you have full and final rest in God and, and God alone through the work of Jesus Christ because he has, he has appointed all of these things for your good. Through his good providence, he has called you, he has filled you, he has, he has appointed good things and helpers for you and he's given you ability and he wants you to rest in, in the one who has done this for you. God's providence, as we have stated before, is his almighty, ever-present power, whereby he holds everything by his hands, both heaven and earth and all creatures. He so governs them, leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, and in all things come to us, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. That includes your work and your rest. Will you trust in him? Will you work for his glory? Will you rest? Will you rest and work out of the rest that has been won you by Christ? I encourage you, rest in Christ this day. Let's pray.